What's up, everybody? This is Vinny Bucci, a.k.a. The Booch, and welcome to The Booch Cast. This week's episode is a special one, as we're going to be taking a look at the 2018 WWE Money in the Bank pay-per-view. That's right. WWE Money in the Bank took place live in Chicago, Illinois, in front of a loud, excited, and very vocal sold-out crowd. And because WWE Money in the Bank is the only topic we have planned for this show this week. I'm not going to waste any time. I am going to just jump right in and get started with this recap. And I'm going to kick things off with the first official match of the evening. We have Daniel Bryan going one-on-one against Big Cass. And... I've said this before, and I will say it again. This match was a total and complete waste of time, in my opinion. I'm actually kind of glad that it opened the show so we could get it out of the way. And also, it was great because once again, Daniel Bryan got the victory. And even though, as I've mentioned before, the fact that Daniel Bryan is making big casts tap out is one of the dumbest, ridiculous and dare I say the word, fakest thing I've ever witnessed in professional wrestling, or as they call it, sports entertainment, the crowd at the end of the day loved it. Why? Because the WWE Universe has Daniel Bryan on the brain. They truly love Daniel Bryan and truly believe he deserves to be the guy, the man, the top dog. So in a Marky Mark town like Chicago, uh, Daniel Bryan getting the win was perfect in that regard because it made the marks happy. And that's pretty much one of the key things you have to do when you're in a town like Chicago. Obviously, you have storylines and ideas you want to follow, but any chance you get with a match, you want to make the marks happy. Because if they're not happy, they will hijack the show and ruin whatever plans you have in the future. So, like I said, the match to me was fucking garbage. It was not believable. And I literally watched Daniel Bryan beat the shit out of Big Cass. I barely saw Big Cass get any offense in this match. It was disgusting. It was pitiful. It was terrible to watch, in my opinion. Simply because it's not believable. Nothing in that match was believable to me. And I get it. Some people are going to listen and go, Vinny, wrestling scripted. Vinny, wrestling is a work. Okay? They're not really supposed to hurt each other. I get that. But the point is, you want to do it in a way that makes it believable. Nothing in this match was believable to me. That this is something that could realistically happen in real life. Even in movies and TV shows, even though a lot of things that happen in there are very, very fake. Like, more fake than wrestling could ever be. At least they find a way to make it look believable to you. To get you to suspend your disbelief. Nothing about this match made me suspend any disbelief. Any. At all. I was not... I was not emotionally invested. I was not mesmerized. I was not captivated. This match was basically a match for the marks. And that's what I called it. A match for the marks. Who love Daniel Bryan and want to see him beat everybody. Even though most of the time it's completely unrealistic. Especially with Big Cass tapping out. And I can now say with confidence that Big Cass tapping out to Daniel Bryan for a second time has now completely discredited Big Cass. Big Cass, to me, is dead as an attraction. He is dead as a top guy. He is not a guy that you can take seriously in this company anymore, and it's only a matter of time before he becomes a comedy act, and it's um, it's also a matter of time before Big Cass is future endeavored. Because how the hell is Big Cass supposed to recover from tapping out to a little guy not once but twice? Now, if Daniel Bryan was tapping somebody out closer to his height, I'd find it more believable and probably would enjoy it more. But I'm sorry, a four-foot guy should not be making a seven-foot guy tap out. He should not be taking him to school the way Big Cass got taken to school. It wasn't believable, and it was complete garbage. It was a spot monkey fest for Daniel. That's all it was. 
It was horrible. It was disgraceful. I never seen anything worse in wrestling. And I know there's a lot of diehard wrestling fans and maybe even some people from the wrestling business that I work with that aren't happy with the fact that I said the word fake. If you are, I apologize. I did not mean to offend you. I'm just using that word because that's how bad this match was to me. Normally, I would never use fake to describe wrestling ever. I have enough sense and respect for that. But when I see stupid horse shit like this, I have no choice but to use the word because nothing in the match was believable. Nothing. There's no other word I could use to describe the shit fest that was Daniel Bryan versus Big Cass. I'm sorry. It was stupid and regard damn ridiculous. And on that note, we're going to move on here to the next segment. We're going to cut to the backstage area. We see the New Day planning for the ladder match tonight when Kevin Owens walks in. He gives them pancakes and Canadian maple syrup and the New Day appears to warm up to Kevin Owens. Owens then propositions them to help take out Braun Strowman, but the New Day says they aren't cheaters. Owens reveals that he doesn't like pancakes or breakfast foods and the New Day gets angry at him. Big E yells at Owens and then they tell him to get out of their locker room. Owens throws out and tells him not to blame him if Strowman destroys everyone later. Big E tells Owens to wait and he turns around. Big E steals his Canadian maple syrup and they tell him to leave again. Now, obviously this is once again the New Day's attempt at being funny with their love of pancakes. And I'm loving it. You know, the Pancake Power t-shirts. I hope to get one someday. Um, I'm loving everything about this. I love Kevin Owens' dig at everything, especially when he made fun of their breakfast cereal, Bootios, which I can now... I've never tried New Day's pancakes, but I have tried uh, Bootio's cereal, and it's delicious. In fact, if you go on my YouTube channel, Booch316, you can see myself and Derek Shapiro trying Bootio's for the first time. It's a very entertaining YouTube video. Go check it out. Uh, Derek and I have a lot of fun as we both try Bootio's cereal for the very first time. Very delicious. I highly recommend it. Bootio cereal is fantastic. And of course, he said IHOP was right when they changed their name to IHOB, which got Desmond pissed off because he hates that shit, which I'm sure a lot of other people do too. Where the International House of Pancakes is now going to become the International House of Burgers, which doesn't really bother me that much because most of the time when I go to IHOP, I'm ordering bacon cheeseburgers anyway because I don't really get pancakes from International House of Pancakes. Which I know sounds kind of weird, but that's usually because when I go to IHOP, it's so late at night, I'm not craving pancakes. I'm craving burgers at the time. And we usually, Chris, my friend Kristen and I would go there after work because it's just, you know, it's usually the only 24-hour spot in town. And usually by the time we get off work, it's 10, 30, 11 o'clock, especially on nights where we're closing together. We have to help close up the store. So I don't really care if they change the name to pancakes to burgers. But I did find it funny when someone tweeted the Wendy's Twitter account and they said, hey, are you guys worried that IHOP is changing their name to IHOB and Wendy said why would we be afraid of a company that failed at making pancakes which to me was the best burn one of the best burns Wendy's ever gave and I'm gonna say this right now if you're not following Wendy's on Twitter you should be I don't know who the social media guy is that works for Wendy's he or she is fantastic they are the most they are geniuses that is probably the best social media manager in the United States of America right now is the person working for Wendy's and operating their Twitter account because they're funny they're clever they're not they don't they, they're not politically correct like all the other companies they legitimately make jokes take digs at people they're entertaining and that's sometimes we need to be on Twitter now obviously professionalism is important to a degree you know you want to handle certain things in a professional manner but when you can be funny when you can be witty when you can be uh, comedic on Twitter it gets more attention to your brand and your company than just being the, than just being the professional sophisticated type. So I just I know I'm going a little off topic here, but it's just a point I wanted to make. So I love the fact that Kevin Owens is trying to get everybody to take out Braun Strowman, but the New Day says they aren't cheaters, which most wrestling fans would see as laughable, seeing as how they're one of their biggest runs as tag team champions was when they were heels, and they cheated all the time 
to hold on to their tag team titles during their longest tag team title reign. Now, of course, their heel gimmick was awesome because it got them over and they could slowly make their way back to a face turn and become the popular New Day tag team that they were meant to be. It's just that the fans were not ready to accept them yet because one of the rules of professional wrestling is people have to hate you before they can love you. It's just the way it goes. So, I just found that laughable when the New Day said, we aren't cheaters. I'm like, y'all must not be watching the WWE Network because y'all are forgetting your own history. So, on that note, we're going to move on to the next match of the evening here. We've got Sami Zayn goes one-on-one against Bobby Lashley. This was another shitty, appalling match. As one of my former co-hosts used to say, this is shitty, shitty moving on. That's the best way I can describe it. I mean, literally, it's Sami Zayn throwing in cheap shots and trying to be all, you know, stalling for time. But then Bobby Lashley beating the shit out of him, dominating the match, hitting him with the Dominator, covering him one, two, three, and winning the match very, very fast and in quick fashion. Which, once again... It's good for Bobby Lashley because it shows that Bobby Lashley is getting his, you know, he's getting his game back. He's getting back on the horse. He's showing that he can now finally get taken seriously as a big guy because he's been pretty much laying dormant ever since he came back. He had a great run with Braun Strowman as a tag team to the point where people felt he should have showed up at WrestleMania and been Braun Strowman's tag team partner and have those guys have a run with the Raw tag team titles. And then all of a sudden, Bobby Lashley kind of fell by the wayside, got in this rivalry with Sami Zayn, which had very little to no good solid buildup to it. In fact, the only thing that made the audience even perk up for a second was when Sami started questioning Bobby Lashley and his military service. So obviously, all of it was meant for nothing. Bobby Lashley destroyed Sami Zayn. So now the question is, where do these guys go from here? Is Bobby Lashley going to start chasing the universal title? Is he going to get a shot at a different championship? And where does Sami Zayn go from here? Is he going to recover from this down the road? Or is he going to start becoming a jobber? Are they going to put him and Kevin Owens back together and let them have a run at the tag team titles? Which is where I think Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens belong. They belong in the tag team division. That's where they need to be, okay? Right now, at this stage in their careers, there's too many big stars, there's too many top guys for them to go for the Universal title, either one of them. Granted, Kevin Owens is was one of the longest reigning Universal champions before Brock Lesnar, but the fact still remains that, you know, there's other guys up there that are more worthy of that position than either Kevin Owens or Sami Zayn. So I feel like the tag team division is a good place to put these guys, especially since they are best friends, they have great chemistry together, and they've been tag team champions in other promotions like Ring of Honor. So to have them as as raw tag team champions would be fantastic. Even if at some point they went back to SmackDown, which I don't think they should ever do, at least not until Shane McMahon is out of power completely as commissioner, um, you know, I would then, you know, make them the SmackDown tag team champion at some point down the road. But I feel like that's where they need to go. That's where they belong. But either way, this was a quick match. It got over with very it got over with very quickly and then once it did we were able to forget and pretend like this shitty match and this crap-ass rivalry, which was a waste of everyone's time, never happened. And on that note, we're going to move on to the next match of the evening for the Intercontinental Championship. Seth Rollins defends the title against Elias. I loved this match. After seeing two incredibly shitty matches to kick off Money in the Bank, now we start cooking with gasoline. This was a great match from start to finish. And once again, Seth Rollins is not only putting on phenomenal matches as Intercontinental Champion, he is now bringing out the best in his opponents. He continues to do that with every single Intercontinental title defense. Whether it's on a pay-per-view or if he's doing an open challenge on Raw, he delivers every time. Seth Rollins has proven that he deserves to be Intercontinental Champion. That he is truly 
one of the best wrestlers in the world. Seth Rollins has proven that in this match. Not only that, Elias had his moment in the sun as well. Now, unfortunately, Elias did not win the Intercontinental Championship. But even though he did not win the title, he definitely proved he's a guy who belongs in WWE. And he proved that WWE does stand for Walk with Elias. Because after this match, I can't imagine a member of the WWE Universe not wanting to walk with Elias. I mean, this guy was amazing from start to finish. One of my favorite moments was when Elias, uh, you know, took out Seth Rollins. At one point, he knocked him out of the ring, it knocked him into the barricade, slammed him into the ring post, threw him into the ring steps, tossed him into the ring, climbed to the top rope, hit a macho man-like elbow off the top rope, and almost got the one, two, three. Just that ser- that 30-second series of moves, especially when Seth Rollins went so fast in the ring post, he wasn't even able to put his hands up to protect his face. He went full face first into that post. I'm surprised he didn't get busted open. That shocked me that he didn't get busted open. I found that to be a shock. I found that to be amazing. That was one hell of a sequence right there. I mean, these guys really traded blows back and forth, and you felt like at any given moment, either one of these guys could have won that match. Like Seth Rollins doing the superplex off the top, following it up with the Falcon Arrow, another great spot in the match. Elias going for electric chair position, Rollins fighting out. I mean, these guys trading moves back and forth, and they flowed effortlessly. So these guys, even though they were doing move for move for move, it didn't look staged. It moved in a fluent motion to where it looked realistic and, and stuff that was believable. This was believability at its finest. And the best part is they they built this up so well over in the weeks leading up to this pay-per-view that when you finally saw the match, you feel like you got your money's worth. And I hope to see Seth Rollins as Intercontinental Champion for a very long time. And when and, and when that day comes that he drops that title, I hope he drops it to somebody who can carry the mantle and keep it going. Because Seth Rollins right now, I don't see anybody in WWE being a better Intercontinental Champion than him. Him at this current time. Now, my opinion could change down the road. It usually does. But for right now, Seth Rollins is the man. And on that note, we're going to move on to the next match of the evening. We've got the women's Money in the Bank ladder match. Ember Moon versus Lana versus Sasha Banks versus Naomi versus Natalia versus Becky Lynch versus Alexa Bliss versus Charlotte. And let me just say right here, right now, for the record, this match was a million times better than the Money in the Bank match last year. These women played off each other so well, worked together so well to make this match happen. There wasn't a bad seed in the bunch. Ember Moon proving that she belongs on the main roster. Lana showing tons of improvement and securing her spot in this ladder match, showing that she earned it. Great moments that Lana had where it looked like Lana was going to win. Sasha doing her part. Naomi doing her part. Everybody doing their part. And of course, I'll be honest, I thought Charlotte was going to win. I really did. And the way she was spearing people all over the place and then even even on top of a ladder at one point, it looked like Charlotte was going to win this whole thing. I thought they were going to give it to the false flare. They were going to give Charlotte another accolade to add to her resume because she's the daughter of Ric Flair. I literally thought the nepotism was going to creep out. But I was wrong. To my shock and surprise, Little Miss Bliss, Alexa Bliss, was able to shove Becky off the ladder and grab the briefcase. Now, I will say there is one aspect of this match that bothered me, and that was the finish. Becky Lynch climbing up, grabbing the briefcase. She's practically about to unhook it when she looks down, sees Bliss, and Bliss tips the ladder over and and pretty much knocks her down. 
and then climbs up quickly and grabs the briefcase. The fact that Becky Lynch was literally seconds away from having the briefcase only to look down and have Alexa Bliss flip the ladder. I'm sorry, that was fucking stupid. They should have found a different spot to do that. I felt if you were going to have that moment for Becky, you might as well have had her just take the briefcase down at that point. You might as well have just had her knock the brief, take the briefcase and win rather than just have her nearly unhook it only to stop, pause and look down. Cause again, you have to look at it from a believability standpoint. That's not realistic. Now, Naomi earlier had a similar situation, but the ladder wasn't set up properly. So she had to lean over. So it makes it harder to unhook it. So that was somewhat believable. I can see, you know, the believability in that. Okay, she has to get it from an angle. It's not that great an angle. All right, I'll buy that. But what happened with Becky, can't buy that for a second. That was a stupid finish. So I'm not mad that Alexa Bliss won. I want to clarify that. Okay, Alexa Bliss won. Okay, granted, she was not my choice to win this match. And I feel like, you know, she's been in the mountaintop one too many times. But I was just mad about the way she won the match. Not necessarily the fact that she won. But that's really what bothered me. Because again, and I have to use a word I don't want to use here on the Boochcast, it looked fake. If I say something looks fake, it means it's that bad. And that's what that particular scene in the Money in the, La- in the Bank ladder match looked. It just looked dumb from my perspective. But other than that, Alexa Bliss wins Money in the Bank. And like I said, bravo to all these women who put their who put it on the line and kicked ass and delivered like Lana hitting gets in the ring hits Ember with a ladder then hits the X factor a great moment there by Lana of course the multiple kicks to all the women knocking them out I mean that to me was amazing that Lana got to prove she's more than just a valet she's more than just a person who can dance seductively she can also whoop some ass and I'm glad they're letting Lana actually whoop some ass And on that note, we cut to the backstage area with Kurt Angle and Paige, who are backstage discussing the Money in the Bank ladder match. Paige says she's confident that one of her SmackDown wrestlers will win the men's Money in the Bank match. Paige also tells Kurt to keep his eyes off her roster because they're loyal to SmackDown. Baron Corbin walks in and interrupts. Corbin tells Angle that Raw better win the men's ladder match too if Angle wants to please Stephanie. Paige says Corbin is just still sour about losing his Money in the Bank contract last time, and Corbin walks off. And once again, this backstage segment was, it was dumb. I mean, I like that Kurt Angle and Paige were talking about the Money in the Bank ladder match and all that, but Paige telling Kurt to keep his eyes off the roster is just plain stupid because at this point, I no one's going to be switching brands anytime soon. Like, we all know this because the draft already happened. Or I should say the superstar shakeup already happened. So whoever's on Raw is going to stay on Raw till the next shakeup. Whoever's on SmackDown is going to stay on SmackDown till the next shakeup. So even though Paige was probably trying to be funny and witty while talking to Kurt, it just didn't work because we, again, we're not buying that shit. And of course, Baron Corbin still trying to be the kiss ass to Stephanie is, I I know Wens and a lot of other people are liking the Constable gimmick. I'm not. I mean, I'm really trying to give it a shot, but Baron Corbin being in a position of authority is just annoying to me because it just goes to show that he's not, that that's how bad of a wrestler he is. They have to try to make him an on-air personality. Problem is, Baron Corbin doesn't have a personality. He doesn't. He's just a he's just a dick. So they have to give him a role where he has to pretend to be a dick because that's the only way he can get over on the mic is by being a dick. This is a guy you can never turn babyface because he's too much of an asshole apparently in real life. And on that note, we're going to move on to the next match of the evening. We got Jinder Mahal versus Roman Reigns. And surprisingly, this match was actually pretty good. Now, obviously, the fans, they were, you know, not very much behind this match since most Marky Mark fans tend to despise Roman Reigns with everything they've got. And also, Jinder Mahal is also somebody the Marks don't like very much. But either way, these guys put on a great match. That's all I can say. The match was great. Was it amazing? Not really, but it was wrestling done in a great way. Like, these guys didn't need to do all the 
high-flying, flippy-dippy bullshit. They could have a match straight up in the ring with psychology and really just taking the fans on an emotional ride with a lot of hard-hitting moves. And in the end, Reigns connects with a spear, gets the one, two, three. Roman Reigns wins the match. Now, Roman winning the match doesn't really shock me. And the reason it doesn't is because Roman Reigns, in my opinion, needs the win. After all the shit that he's gone through with Brock Lesnar, he needed the win over Jinder Mahal. And like I said, Roman did not need the win over Samoa Joe at Backlash. But he did need to beat Jinder Mahal. Why? Because there's talk, it's not set in stone, but there is talk that at SummerSlam in Brooklyn, Roman is supposed to face Brock Lesnar one more time. And hopefully that's supposed to be the moment where Roman Reigns finally gets the Universal Championship. So if Roman's going to do that, especially since there was a controversial finish in the cage at the Greatest Royal Rumble, then Roman Reigns cannot lose to Jinder Mahal before going up against Brock Lesnar. So Roman did need the win if he's going to face Brock again and take that title from him. Roman needs to establish dominance. More dominance. And I know it's a phrase, this is another phrase people like to hear, but Roman needs to look strong. So that's exactly what happened in this match. But Jinder Mahal was no slouch either. And Roman Reigns got the win that he needed. So hopefully this leads to him finally taking the universal title from Brock Lesnar and keeping the title on Raw and sending Brock uh, wherever he needs to go. Let him ride off into the sunset. Go back to his farm in Minnesota. Maybe try to get back in the octagon, assuming they still want him. And, you know, move on from the WWE. Because let's be honest... There's nothing left for Brock to do. And him holding the Universal title hostage does not put value on that belt anymore. He has no value anymore. He's just now, all he's doing now is pissing off the WWE Universe because they're being subjected to some stupid-ass rivalries and stupid-ass bullshit because, to kill time for when Brock Lesnar decides, I want to leave the farm and come actually fucking wrestle and do my job. And fans are getting sick of it. I already know I am. I've been sick of it for the last few months now. Because I was okay with it because I thought Roman was going to win at Mania. Since WrestleMania, Brock's still champion. Right now, Vinny not liking Brock Lesnar sitting at home. So now I'm right there with the WWE Universe. We're all on the same page now. I'm sick of Brock being at home. And I'd rather see Roman with the belt. Because at this point... Who else is credible enough to take him? The answer, nobody. Brock's beaten everybody else. And he's beaten Roman Reigns, but Roman showed toughness that nobody else has shown against Brock, other than maybe Goldberg. All right, and on that note, I'm going to move on to the next match of the evening for the SmackDown Women's title. Carmella defends the gold against Asuka. And this match shocked the shit out of me. I'm going to be honest with you folks. I am in a complete state of fucking shock right now. Currently, I'm shocked. I could not believe for the life of me that Carmella beat Asuka. Asuka got another shot at the SmackDown Women's title, and she lost. And this is what shocked the hell out of me the most. Not just the fact that Carmella won, but how she won. Because this match was pretty good. It was good back and forth. You know, Asuka, you know, doing a lot of dominant moves. Carmella able to fight back. You know, they, 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 didn't, they didn't just let Asuka dominate and mop the floor with Carmella. Which is what I thought was going to happen, to be honest. But Asuka, you know, she held her own. Carmella held her own. And then in the end, all of a sudden, a masked individual shows up on the ring apron, dressed in Asuka's gear. Asuka looks and is shocked. All of a sudden, the person yanks the mask off, and it's James Ellsworth. Apparently, WWE has brought back James Ellsworth. Scrappy-doo as we've called him here on the Boochcast, the chinless insect, as she, as he's been known to be called on SmackDown Live. James Ellsworth is back in the WWE. The crowd pops. Carmella boots Asuka in the head, covers her one, two, three, and retains the SmackDown women's title. And now, Carmella and James Ellsworth retreat up the ramp in celebration. Now, here's the big question that needs to be answered. Is this a one-time appearance? Or is James Ellsworth officially back with the WWE? Now, if he is officially back with the WWE, where the fuck does this go from here? 
does uh does James Ellsworth constantly back up Carmella till she loses the title and then she turns on Ellsworth again? Are they still gonna be just friends or do they officially become a couple? Will James Ellsworth actually get to wrestle? Or is he just going to be a circus act? Now, I'm sure Ellsworth's not going to care either way as long as he's getting the big bucks, which I can respect from a business perspective. But the question is, how will Ellsworth be used going forward? Because if he does the same thing he did the last time he was here, the fans will get tired of it quick, fast, and in a hurry. That is the truth. They are going to get sick and tired of this very, very soon. Because it's not gonna be it's not gonna be fun for anyone involved if Ellsworth is constantly helping Carmella win. Because we hated it when she was Miss Money in the Bank, and we're gonna hate it even more now that she's SmackDown Women's Champion. Because Carmella is doing so well by herself. She doesn't need Ellsworth to help her win. If she wants to cheat, she can cheat on her own. She doesn't need Ellsworth. I feel like this is gonna do more harm than good for Carmella's career because Carmella was doing so well by herself. The whole Mella is money gimmick works for her. This is something that she is doing very well at. She's kicking ass, she's taking names, and she's doing it on her own. She didn't need Ellsworth. There's no reason to bring this guy back. I don't see any value in him. I feel like this is going to hurt Carmella in the long run. But at the end of the day, we'll see what happens. And on that note, we're going to move on to the next match of the evening. For the WWE Championship, AJ Styles defends the gold against Shinsuke Nakamura in a last man standing match. Now, if I take my personal feelings... For this abysmal rivalry out of the equation, I will say this match was very well done. In fact, this right here is the best match of the entire rivalry. This was a great match. This match had everything you needed. Drama, excitement, great wrestling, chemistry. Styles and Nakamura pulled this off perfectly. There's nothing else that needs to be done. And now that AJ Styles has won the match after the phenomenal form on Nakamura that sent him through the announce table with Nakamura being down for the 10 count and AJ Styles winning, this rivalry needs to be over. This needs to end. Styles has already proven he's better than Nakamura. He's proven it. Nakamura's gotten one victory over AJ Styles, and that was on SmackDown where he earned the right to pick this stipulation. AJ Styles has already proven time and time again he can beat Nakamura. This has a definitive winner in a definitive match. It needs to stop. It needs to end. AJ Styles has to move on and get a new challenger. Find somebody else for Styles to work with and have him continue his reign as champion. Now, eventually at some point, he'll have to lose that title. I'd rather he lose it to someone else at this point because Nakamura has already been beaten enough times. It's already enough. He's done. There's no, there's, you're not going to get anything else out of this rivalry. You can't top this last man standing match. The only way you could top it is to put them in a cage or in a cell. Cage match or hell in a cell. That's the only way you're going to top what we saw in that last man standing match. And even then, I don't think a cage or a cell would top it. Just end it here. For the love of God, end this rivalry now so we don't have to see it again. And some people are trying to tell me they're probably going to drag this out till SummerSlam. Dear God, I fucking hope not. Because I can't sit through another Styles Nakamura match. I can't do it anymore. It's for goddamn ridiculous. This is this shit has gone on far enough. We don't deserve to be treated like this. And on that note, I'm going to move on to the next match here. We got... For the Raw Women's title, Nia Jax defends the title against Ronda Rousey. I'm about to say something I never thought I would say about this match. I loved it. This was the perfect match, and I'm going to tell you why. Nia Jax showed her dominance in this match. 
Ronda Rousey proved that she is worthy of fighting for the Raw Women's Championship. She locks, she almost locks in the armbar. She's about to make Nia tap when all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Alexa Bliss runs in, hits Ronda with the briefcase, and gets her. And then the ref calls for the bell. She then attacks Ronda. She attacks Nia. She throws Ronda the ring post and then over the announce table. Then she gets back in the ring. She cashes in the briefcase. She hits a DDT on Nia, hits the Twisted Bliss, gets the one, two, three, and Alexa Bliss wins the Raw Women's title. Now, this was the perfect way to end this match because if Ronda Rousey had won the Raw Women's title, Nia Jax would have been buried and the fans would have turned on her. They would have turned on her immediately. They would give her the Roman Reigns treatment because she's getting too much too soon. At the same time, if Nia Jax had won that match, then Ronda, her momentum would be killed. Her mystique would be destroyed because she'd have a one-on-one record, which she should not have at this stage in her career. She needs to rack up at least a few more wins before we start putting a loss on Ronda's record. In fact, I will go as far as to say, until she is the women's champion, don't have her lose. Once she wins the title and she gets a couple good defenses under her belt, once you're ready to build your next big star, have that person beat Ronda and they win the championship. Then you can make Ronda like everybody else. But until that time, she needs to be seen as the baddest woman on the planet. And this was the perfect scenario to do it because nobody was weak in this match. Ronda Rousey got a win. So she's still undefeated in WWE. She has a 2-0 record. She won her match via disqualification. So Ronda got her win, even though she was sent flying over the announce table. Nia Jax doesn't look weak because not only was she injured from the arm bar, from the arm bar attempts, but also from Alexa Bliss beating her up with the briefcase before cashing it in and officially starting the match. So Nia Jax was already weak. She was already vulnerable. And when Alexa Bliss could come in and pick the bones. And Bliss won the championship. So obviously she looks good. Because she won her briefcase. She cashed it in. And she's now the women's champion. And she's not going to make us wait for an eternity. Like fucking Carmella did. She cashed it in. And won. Same night. So everything looks great. Ronda's got her win. Nia looks Nia looks injured and Alexa Bliss has the belt. This was the best scenario to save all these women from potential burial. It saved them all right there. So now Alexa Bliss can begin her reign as champion. Now, of course, Nia Jax as the former champion will be entitled to a rematch. So the only disadvantage in all of this is that we're going to see Bliss and Nia fight each other once again. Most likely at Extreme Rules. So we're going to see Bliss and Nia fight again, but at least Ronda doesn't get hurt. Now, I'm sure at some point, Ronda Rousey's going to be involved in this match, and they'll probably make it a triple threat. But I'm going to I'm gonna call this right now. I'm seeing, I'm predicting right now that if Ronda Rousey doesn't win the title at WrestleMania 35, she's probably going to win it at SummerSlam in Brooklyn. One of those two events, Ronda Rousey will become the women's champion. I think they're going to put that belt on Ronda. But based on what we saw here, I think if she wins the belt at SummerSlam, fans might not be as upset. I think that Ronda has proven in this match that she is good, that she is championship material, and that she was born ready, especially with the resume she showed going into Money in the Bank. So I think SummerSlam or WrestleMania 35, those are the times to put the belt on Ronda. I think if Ronda is booked properly before SummerSlam, she could probably win it there. Otherwise, she'll have to wait till Mania, in my opinion. Win the Women's Royal Rumble and get your title shot there. But either way, we had the best case scenario happen at Money in the Bank. Bliss is the champion. Nia's going to go for a rematch. And Ronda, like I said, still got her DQ win. So it wasn't ruled a no contest. So everything looks, so now everybody looks good. So solid, solid booking from WWE. I got to give WWE credit for this one. The booking for this was perfect. This was what needed to be done. They did it and they did it right. So I know sometimes I give the creative team and the booking committee a lot of crap. That's mostly because they make a lot of crappy mistakes. 
In this case, they did not. So I tip my hat off to the committee. And on that note, we're going to move on to the main event of the evening. The men's money in the bank ladder match. We had Braun Strowman versus Finn Balor versus The Miz versus Rusev versus Bobby Roode versus Kevin Owens versus Samoa Joe. And from the New Day, Kofi Kingston was added to the ladder match on behalf of the New Day. Xavier Woods came out to the ring. Uh, He was taking off his shirt looking like he's the guy that's going to go. Then all of a sudden on his chest, he read Kofi written there. And we officially and they officially announced that Kofi Kingston would be the New Day member taking part in the match, which already told me right there, Kofi Kingston's not winning this match. Because I knew if Kofi was put in this match, it's strictly to do ladder match high spots. That's pretty much Kofi's role anytime he's in a match like this. You know he's not winning the title. They are not going to make Kofi Kingston a WWE champion. They're just not. Now, if Big E was the guy representing the New Day, I would be more believable, believed if Big E won the, you know, universal title. I would find, or WWE championship. I'd find that more believable. Xavier Woods, eh, not really. But Kofi, definitely not. So, right there, you could already ixnay the New Day from any of your betting needs. And I will say, this match, I enjoyed up until the end. Uh, I felt that all the guys going after Braun Strowman was awesome. Stacking ladders on top of him, trying to hold him down. Kind of similar to what they would do to the Big Show whenever he was in Money in the Bank matches. Except the Big Show, when he would do them... He had his own special custom-made ladder that he would use because he's a big guy. Apparently, Braun Strowman is more than capable of climbing normal ladders. So that I found to be very, very odd and interesting. But other than that, everything was cool. One major spot, Kevin Owens on top of a 25-foot ladder. Looked like he was about to do a frog splash as Samoa Joe and Rusev held Braun Strowman on a table. Strowman fought out, climbed up the ladder, grabbed Kevin Owens, threw him 25 feet off the ladder, threw a table off the stage, which was the craziest spot of the night. That was the holy shit moment where even at home, we weren't screaming holy shit. We were screaming, what the fuck? Fuck. Like, what the fuck? I think Kevin Owens is fucking dead. Yet, uh, yet somehow, someway, he wasn't completely dead. I don't know if he came back after that match or not. In fact, nope, he was dead. That was Kevin Owens pretty much done after that. So, of course, everybody else is fighting in the ring. Another great moment was Rusev doing, at one point, a double accolade. He did one on Kofi Kingston, then Bobby Roode jumped in the ring. He then did a double accolade to Kofi and Bobby Roode. Then, of course, The Miz tried to break that up. Then he puts one on Miz, Kofi, and Bobby Roode at the same time. He does a triple accolade. Rusev was massively over with this crowd. And at one point, it looked like Rusev was going to win Money in the Bank. I mean, they allowed Rusev to truly shine in this Money in the Bank ladder match. And it got to the point where I was starting to cheer for Rusev, and I'm not even a Rusev fan. I've always thought, I've ne- I have not fallen into the Rusev hype. But I will tell you right now, my respect for Rusev has gone up after this match after seeing the amazing performance he put on. And then, of course, Joe breaks it up with a, you know, coquilla clutch, but Rusev drops him with a Machka kick. He climbs for the briefcase, but The Miz knocks him off. Rude and Balor then clear the ring. Balor drops Rude, so a lot of crazy stuff happens. And then, of course, Finn Balor hits the coup de grace from on top of a ladder onto Bobby Rude. Then Strowman, you know, pulls him down. Braun hits a power slam on Joe. Then he hits a power slam on Miz. Braun and Finn climb ladder at the same time. Kofi leads up onto Braun's back. Braun knocks Finn down, tosses Kofi down, grabs the briefcase, and wins the match. So, Mr. Money in the Bank, or in this case, Monster in the Bank, is Braun Strowman. Now, obviously, the crowd in Chicago popped for Braun Strowman. They loved seeing Braun Strowman win this match because they all love Braun Strowman. And I get why they do. Braun Strowman has proven himself to be a good, solid main event player. Here's my issue, though. The fact that Braun Strowman needs the briefcase in order to try and get a match or to interfere and take out Brock Lesnar, to me, it damages Strowman's credibility. It doesn't make him tough. 
Unless Braun Strowman wants to cash it in and like do an advance notice cash in, it's not going to make him look tough. If Braun Strowman has to sneak attack to get a fucking universal championship, it weakens the monster in my opinion. Unless you plan on turning the monster heel. And even then it doesn't work because Braun's been establishing this massive amount of dominance. And he got, even though he got his ass whooped by Brock Lesnar, he dropped after one F5. So that tells me that Braun Strowman's not strong enough to take on Brock and he needs a briefcase to do it. So I can understand it from that perspective, but still, in my opinion, it makes Braun Strowman look weak that he needs a briefcase. It should have gone to somebody who actually could have used it on Brock Lesnar and actually needed it. Because, in my opinion, Finn Balor should have won this. In my opinion. I feel like Finn Balor needed it more. He's the first ever Universal Champion and it's his best chance to ever beat Brock Lesnar. Bobby Roode, he could have used the contract. It could have helped it could have helped propel him. Kevin Owens didn't really need it, but would have been nice to keep it on Monday Night Raw. So that's really the only thing I like about Braun Strowman winning the title. The fact that a Raw superstar has money in the bank. The fact that a woman from Raw won the Money in the Bank briefcase and then later won the championship. Both Money in the Bank briefcases came to Monday Night Raw. And that's what needed to happen. Since last year, SmackDown was a Raw, was, was Money in the Bank was an exclusive SmackDown pay-per-view. So they are the only ones that had Money in the Bank. So for SmackDown to have a Money in the Bank briefcase on it would be unfair and boring. To have two briefcases on Raw is great. Now that Alexa Bliss is champion, Braun can now brag about his briefcase and we can see what he does with it going forward to make himself the universal champion. So that's the way I look at this match and everything else. The fact that it's now on Raw. So I'm hoping next year with Money in the Bank, we'll be able to see, you know, maybe one briefcase go to Raw and the other one go to SmackDown and vice versa, instead of both being on the same brand. This year it needed to happen, just to get some diversity and make it fair. But hopefully next year we can start mixing and matching the briefcases to make everything look more entertaining and more exciting. And of course, The Miz didn't walk out with the briefcase, so that's always a win for me. He was the only guy I was the most concerned with walking away with that briefcase. As long as The Miz doesn't get it, I'm a happy guy. So so I can't be too mad that Braun Strowman won the briefcase because it could have been worse. The Miz could have the briefcase right now, and then life as I know it would come to an abrupt end as far as me being a WWE fan because the day The Miz gets the WWE title around his waist is the day I stop watching SmackDown. And hell, I may even stop watching WWE altogether if it gets too crazy. But either way, Braun Strowman is now the Money in the Bank holder. I'm intrigued to see what how he handles the cash in whether he cashes in on Brock or if he waits to cash in on somebody else after somebody inevitably beats Brock for the championship this is going to be interesting or maybe this is the way to get Brock to come back because Brock wants to sit at home so Braun says I'm cashing in my contract therefore Brock Lesnar is obligated to show up and defend the title or be stripped of it so that kind of coerces Brock to come back that's something I would think would be a good way to make that story happen now that you, you're in a situation where Braun Strowman's the money in the bank. But still, I felt like any of the other guys could have had that. Braun Strowman didn't need to be money in the bank. But hopefully now that he's already money in the bank, he won't win it again. That's my hope and prayer. Because I feel like a big man holding money in the bank, you know, it, it, they don't need it. Braun's, Braun's the type of guy that shouldn't need a briefcase to get a universal title shot. And the fact that he does, I think, damages his credibility a little bit but at the end of the day that's just me alright and that ladies and gentlemen will wrap up this recap of WWE Money in the Bank I thank you guys so much for tuning in and make sure you guys follow the Boochcast we're on Anchor Spotify Google Podcast and iHeartRadio pick your favorite hosting site and follow us there or be a super fan and follow us on all four hosting sites also like us on Facebook go to facebook.com slash the Boochcast we have archived episodes of the show as well as great content also be on the lookout for the latest episode of the male soap opera moments as Wednesday I'll be giving our predictions for the 2023 money in the bank set to take place this Saturday July 1st so the predictions the episode will be available on the Facebook page also make sure you follow us on Twitter and Instagram at the Boochcast get the latest tweets photos and videos visit our YouTube channel check out all of our YouTube content and be sure to hit the subscribe button and ring that bell to be notified when future 
future content will be posted. Also, you can follow us on Twitch. Go to twitch.tv slash theboochcast. That's where we do our live wrestling watch parties. Our next watch party will be Saturday, August the 5th for WWE SummerSlam. That's right. Make sure you join us for the biggest party of the summer. Also, we have our live D&D show coming soon, our Boochcast booking battle, and another special project in the works. You can also support the Boochcast by going to anchor.fm slash theboochcast slash support. Become a supporter of the Boochcast. Support this podcast with a small monthly donation to help sustain future episodes. We have three levels you can donate at. Pick the one that works the best within your budget. We have our first level, which is 99 cents, $1 per month. We have our second level, which is $4.99, $5 per month. The same amount of money you would pay for a Peacock subscription. I know a lot of you guys out there aren't fans of the Peacock, so don't give them money. Give us money. We got better content than Peacock anyway. And we got the third and final level you can donate at, which is for a mere $9.99, $10 per month. The same amount of money we used to pay for a WWE Network subscription here in the United States. Ever since they sold to the Peacock, you got nowhere to put that $9.99. So $10.99, bring it over here. We got better content than Network, and unlike All Elite Wrestling, we actually care about our fans and are dedicated to giving the people what they want. You have the option of paying with a credit card or with GPay. And the best part is, all the money we raise goes back into the show in some capacity. We use to upgrade our equipment, we use to bring in bigger name guests, pay the bills, and take care of all the guys who work very hard on the air and off the air to make the Boochcast a success. So if you got a favorite co-host and believe they're to be paid for their hard work, anchor.fm slash theboochcast slash support is how you make that happen. And then, if there's any money left over, when it's all said and done, we use the rest to feed Zachariah Scott his ramen noodles and try to get him laid. And until next time, this is Vinny Bucci, a.k.a. The Booch, saying keep on living life and take care. This has been The Boochcast. We'll talk to you guys next time. Until then, pizza, baby! Well, I see by the clock on the wall that it's time to bid you one and all goodbye. Goodbye. So long. So long. Farewell. Farewell. Adieu. Adieu. Be good. Stay well. Bye-bye. Keep warm. Relax. Eddie. Take care. Stay loose. Adieu, mon vieux. A la prochaine. Goodbye till when we meet again.